The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. Your hosts are Becky Olson and Sharon Hennepin. Our show is here to help breast cancer patients, survivors, their friends and family with the resources, support, and inspiration they can use right now. Here are your hosts, Sharon and Becky. Welcome to our show. My name is Sharon Hennepin, and I'm a 22-year breast cancer survivor and the co-founder of Breast Friends. And I'm Becky Olson. I'm a three-time breast cancer survivor and the other co-founder of Breast Friends. When cancer strikes, we all experience it differently. From the moment of diagnosis, through treatment, and beyond, it's challenging to each one of us in a very personal way. But through our many years of working with thousands of patients, we realize there are some consistencies. For example, hearing the word cancer and hearing nothing else after that. Uh, Also, like, why does chemo and radiation impact some women much harder than others? And why some move on faster than others? Today, we explore many of the common questions that arise. We will talk about why it's so important for each of us and offer ideas and solutions to make the journey as positive as possible for each woman in the midst of her battle. And today to kick us off, we have a wonderful guest on our show, Jennifer Steen Revis. Jan is a vital member of the Compass Oncology Breast Specialist Team in Portland. Um, She was diagnosed with breast cancer at the unbelievable age of 29. And Jen knows firsthand the difficult choices facing her patients and is dedicated to their emotional, physical, and mental well-being. Her role as a breast cancer nurse navigator allows her to support patients at all stages of treatment. She provides knowledge, inspiration, and resources for their unique situation. Jennifer is a strong advocate for multidisciplinary care and encourages women to consult with all potential members of their treatment team prior to surgery. In her spare time, Jennifer lives life to the fullest. She enjoys spending time with her family, traveling, music, and reading. And oh yeah, did I mention Jennifer was also the recipient of the 2015 Breast Friends Compassion Award. Please welcome Jen. Hi, Jen. Good morning, you guys. Thanks so much for having me on your show this morning. Oh, Oh, it's our our pleasure. Yeah, our honor, totally. So excited to have you. So Jen, diagnosed at 29, really? I thought 40 was early. Ick. So how did you find it? (laughs) You know, actually, I was doing a self-breast exam. You know, not many people in their 20s are even thinking about, um, you know, kind of health issues and those types of things. And I was, you know, just kind of really in the beginning of my career as a nurse. But my grandmother on my father's side was diagnosed very young with breast cancer. And she actually died around 47 years of age with breast cancer. So it was always something Mm -hmm. that was in the back of my mind. And I actually did my breast exams because of my grandmother. So I'm glad that I was doing them. 
Yeah, yeah, no kidding. For sure. Just knowing what is normal is so important when you're when you're doing those breast exams, right? So when you find something different. So Jen, you know, we know that only about 10% of breast cancer is considered hereditary. Is there a did you find out if you've got the gene mutation or was that just are you yeah, just I do not lucky have a like gene us? mutation. You know, they did do, you know, back when I was diagnosed, it, they were just doing the BRCA1 and BRCA2 testing, um, which is the gene uh, that Angelina Jolie has, of course. Mm-hmm. And they were, you know, able to identify that I did not have those genes. However, in the recent years, we've come out with a lot more um, information on genetics and certain types of syndromes that are associated with uh, cancers, and there can be some that are linked to colon and breast and ovarian and different ones linked with pancreatic and breast. Mm-hmm. So really, we've come a long way in the genetics uh, field. I do Boy, not howdy. at this time harbor any type of genetic mutation, even though my mother was diagnosed five years after I was. Um, really? I didn't know that. A, oh, my. Yeah. That's... So it's it's interesting to know that there are syndromes that are out there, and I always encourage encourage patients to talk with their physicians about whether or not they meet criteria for genetic counseling and possible genetic testing. Even if you have no family history of breast mm-hmm. in, the, in, in the family, you can have other types of cancer histories in the family that might be linked to a higher incidence in breast cancer. Yeah. That's true. You know, my, my, uh, my mom was diagnosed with breast cancer after I was, kind of like your mom was, and my mom yeah. says, I didn't know I could get it from you. <laughs> that's, that's something that my mom said to me as well, yeah. and I think it actually does put your maybe your parent at, at maybe a higher risk if you're able to yeah. have something like that as well. But yeah, yeah, crazy. Huh? And then on my dad's side, my my dad's side, he's got there was breast cancer. His mom, his sister, his um, niece, who's my first cousin, all of them, you know, had cancer and breast cancer, and some of them young. And I like you, I tested negative for the BRCA one and two as well. Yeah, me too. Yeah, mm-hmm. but then again, there's like you said, there's a whole bunch of new tests. I heard there are 23 new tests that would detect some form of a gene mutation, and I don't know if that number is accurate. But do you have any any information on that? I think even higher than that. You know, I just went really? to a genetics uh, dinner the other night um, about different panel tests that we're using, and there's been a lot of uh, related uh, gene mutations that could lead to a higher incidence for having breast cancer. So, mm-hmm. wow. Yeah. So, Jen, you know, being diagnosed as young as you were, how did it impact you emotionally at that time? That was... It was difficult. You know, none of my friends were going through anything remotely like that. And, you know, most everybody was, um, you know, getting married or thinking about starting a family. And I remember, you know, even even when I was diagnosed, the doctor didn't even believe me that I had something. He said, you're way too young for this. Yeah. Um, I had to advocate for myself and ask for the mammogram, ask for the ultrasound. And uh, in fact, it was 10 years ago on February 21st, so I'm coming up on my 10-year anniversary of that. That's wow. exciting. Wow. So you're 39. Yeah. You, you don't have to be 40 yeah. for one more year. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm coming up on that. Absolutely, I'm coming up on that. But um, I just, it was, it was difficult. I remember getting that phone call and him saying, you know, this actually is a cancer. We have a, an appointment for you at 5 p.m. today. And I just sat there numb. Um, yeah, Just completely. numb. I, I didn't call my family right away. I had uh, worked a 12-hour night shift, and I just sat there with the phone, mm-hmm. and it's numbing. I don't think it's it's ever different for any type of age when you 
you know, you get that diagnosis. No, no, I agree. I mean, I was 43, and I remember I was trying to call my husband. I couldn't even see the numbers on my phone. I had so many tears, and I, I couldn't dial. I had to keep trying over and over again. I was just, I, I was, you know, yeah. paralyzed. So yeah. you're right. At any age, those are not good words to hear. No. Right? And isn't it interesting when you do hear those words, it's like nothing else seems to come through right mm-hmm. then. I mean, it's like we have this mental block for a few seconds, and so if the doctor's saying something important in those next few seconds, we probably missed it. So yeah, Absolutely. Um, I think oh. that they quote 7%. You hear about 7% of, of that conversation, and then mm-hmm. the rest goes out the window. Yeah. Wow, 7%. So that's a really good reason to have somebody with you <laughs> taking notes and or, re- yeah. or recording the conversation. Yeah, yeah because and now 7%. the smartphones, wow. they all have a way to hit a voice memo thing. At least do that so you can oh, that's a good pick idea. up the rest of it if you don't yeah. have someone with you. Definitely. And most physicians are okay with that. I actually recommend that for patients that don't have anybody that can come with them to their appointments. I think it's always good to be able to go back and reflect on that conversation um, and, and hear it the way that it, it came out and instead of what your mind sometimes mm-hmm. thinks when you hear certain things. Absolutely, absolutely. Jen, you know something? I've, I've had all of my care for all three of my diagnoses through Compass Oncology. And, you know, you're, you're, you guys mean the world to me for obvious reasons. You've gotten me through three very tough battles. When I first started, though, we didn't have such a thing as a nurse navigator. Mm-hmm. And that's a relatively newer term in, in the world. What does it mean? And, and why did you choose to do that? So nurse navigator can mean a lot of different things, and um, there's, you know, across the nation, everybody kind of has their own idea of what nurse navigation is, but nurse navigation to me and, and with Compass is really being that first person um, that reaches out to the patient when they're diagnosed to just let them know what to expect at their upcoming appointment, give them that support, be that landline, that lifeline mm-hmm. that they can call anytime when they have questions or concerns about their upcoming, you know, whatever it may be, upcoming treatments, upcoming surgeries, upcoming consultations. If they can't remember what the physician said, the navigator is is there to try and tie that back together or at least get them to the right person who can answer their questions. You know, as you know, as all, you know, both of you know, it's very hard navigating the matrix of a breast cancer diagnosis, <laughs> of a cancer diagnosis yeah. in general. Well, I, you know, those first couple of weeks you have, I don't know how many appointments, you know, depending yeah. on your circumstances. And, and I mean, I felt... I felt like, I don't know, a a cow going to slaughter or something. I mean, you know, (laughs) you just kind of go from one place to another. And I mean, it's, you have no clue. I mean, again, as young as you and I were when all three of us were, I mean, that's the last thing. Yeah, I wasn't that much older. I know. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Well, then you, maybe Jan, but not you. (laughs) But I mean, it's crazy because you just, you have no clue. You have to learn a whole new language. You have to learn, you know, even what an oncologist is is i mean yeah exactly so there's so many things that come up so um and now with the um internet um being so prolific with information good and bad what's what's your kind of (laughs) take on on how you deal with that (laughs) 
the the internet is a whole different ball game. You know, it's got really good information and it's got not so good information. And usually, one of the first things I say to patients is, please stay off the internet. It's and until you've met with your physician and you understand everything about your diagnosis, your pathology, what the recommendations are, it's too easy to get lost in multiple different websites where you're just looking at numbers and statistics and things that really might not apply to you whatsoever. It creates a lot of undue anxiety. It keeps you up at night. Uh, You can't go to sleep. You wake up in the middle of the night. And it's really just not a great place to be until you know more about your diagnosis. Once you know about those, you know, you know, the the biology of your tumor and how it behaves and those types of things, then going to reliable websites like cancer.net or breastcancer.org, things that are actually, um, you know, that sites that are approved by American Society of Clinical Oncology, you want to make sure that you're always in sites like that instead of chat rooms and and other areas. yes. Please address chat rooms. Address that. Address chat rooms because that's a... That's a huge one. I know that I think that's one of the first things people want to do is find a chat room. And boy, yeah. there is so much negativity in those. Yeah. So yeah. that's exactly what I say about chat rooms. People who are doing well with uh, breast cancer diagnosis and treatment are not on the internet writing about how well they're doing. They are out living their life. <laughs> exactly. And they are exactly. not in yeah. that chat room talking mm-hmm. about the negative effects of everything that they've gone through. Yeah. Um, each person is very individual, and, and I really caution people to stay out of those chat rooms. You know, and I know there's some, there are some good ones, but it's hard to decipher sometimes when you're so emotional and so raw, Mm -hmm. you get on one and you think that's it. But, you know, it's kind of like going to a support group, you know, the support groups, the chat rooms, they're all kind of as good as the people who participate in them. And so if you're, if you find yourself, even if you're way beyond that first stage and you're in a chat group, um, and you're seeing a lot of negativity, bow out of it and go find another one. Mm-hmm. Um, or, or add some positive comments. Or be the positive yeah, influence. Be the, be the positive <laughs> yeah, influence. Be the positive yes. person. I yeah. think that that's, you know, and I think that even even for us, where, where, where each one of us are today, I can't really speak for you, but for myself, attending support groups is not so much for myself anymore, but for other people to mm-hmm. know that there exactly. is life after breast cancer, and that life is good, and it's worth living, and that there are these blessings that come out of this her ordeal, you know, when we're diagnosed. Yeah, absolutely. I so, so agree. So when, when you decided to share your news with others, how did you, how did you approach that? I mean, did you, you know, just car blanche tell everybody or were you very selective on who you told and how you told them? I was very selective to begin with, and I actually ended up getting some great information from the navigator who navigated me, which was get on carepages.com or caringbridge.org and get that. I think I've got those .coms and .orgs right. But get your information out there in, in one, one format and invite all of your friends and family that would like to know about this to that um, website. The reason being is that and I think a lot of women find this as well. No matter who you tell, people want to be supportive, but they don't know how to be supportive. Yeah, so that's our message, honey. <laughs> they text all the time. They email all the time. And then one of the most harmful 
things, actually, is people sharing what they would do if they were you or who they know who has had breast cancer mm-hmm. or even worse yet, who they know who has died, died. of breast cancer. Yeah. So yeah. they share their story, their information, and it really becomes you taking care of everybody else's feelings about your own breast cancer. So it's true. not helpful. Mm-mm. It's not That's helpful. A, yes, exactly. And, and they, yeah. they're trying hard. I think, they want to relate. Yeah, they want to relate. They want to find some way to connect with you at a level that they think that you'll appreciate. But, you know, when you're in the midst of this, the last thing you want to hear is how, you know, your Aunt Martha died of this disease at some young right. age or something. They don't want to hear that. Mm-mm, you no. know, what, what they want to hear is is a supportive conversation. They also don't want to feel dismissed. You know, I don't know about you, Jen, but when people would say, oh, you're going to be fine. Nobody dies from this disease anymore. Uh, That's not true. Yeah. You know, and I could be the one. Yeah. 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 So how do you deal with that? How do you encourage your patients to, you know, handle some of those things when, when those conversations come up and it's disturbing to them? What do you tell them to do? Setting boundaries. And again, even using those websites so that they don't have to do it necessarily over the phone or in person. You know, oftentimes we're afraid of hurting other people's feelings, mm-hmm. even though it's it's our diagnosis that we're walking through. Mm-hmm. Um, setting up those websites or even having a family friend or a spouse or a partner be able to do it. You know, they, mm-hmm. they tend to get left out a lot of the time when, when, this, when we're going through treatment and diagnosis, mm-hmm. you know, this journey. So it's nice to say, you know, um, my wife was diagnosed with breast cancer cancer on this date. This is what we know. This is, you know, our team. Right now, we're not ready for visitors. If you have words of inspiration you'd like to send, please share here. We love that. You know, we need help with rides or transportation on these days. Um, You know, thank you for the refrigerator full of food. We're okay (laughs) for right now. Those types of things that really allow people to see you know, visually where the support is needed and how they can be supportive. And then it allows those calls and texts and emails to kind of peter off so that you can focus Mm -hmm. on yourself and getting through treatment. And one of the reasons I really like those sites, too, is because you don't have to repeat your story 15 million times. I mean, it seems like, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, I mean, and every doctor appointment, you know, where there's an update or whatever, Mm -hmm. you can then update that website rather than having to go through that Mm -hmm. whole process over and over again. And and I know... Back when I was diagnosed 22 years ago, we I didn't have that kind of resource. Mm-hmm. And, and so yeah. that's a welcome um, resource to be able to put out there. And again, like you said, you can put out what you need as well as what you don't need <laughs> and, um, you know, update all the information. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, yeah, I think that's a great. So, Jen, can you actually suggest a couple of those types of resources? Because we've said resources, but who are they? I know I, yeah. I know a couple, but why don't you tell us what you know and who so you might recommend? The online ones that I usually recommend are the ones I mentioned, which were the um, carepages.com and the caringbridge.org. Okay. And then as far as finding local resources, you know, even your, your resource that you offer for patients is amazing because it's it's offered Thank to you. anybody anywhere you may have your local chapters in Florida, Washington, you know, Oregon and Pennsylvania, but your website has so much information on it and so many areas for patient support for the family and friends, uh for children, the community outreach, all the events that you do. So your 
your website is amazing for people, first of all. Oh, bless your heart. You know, well, we need to actually wind it up for the first break, and then we're going to keep Jen on the line with us afterwards. Um, So we'd like to encourage our callers to call in. Jen, you don't mind taking some questions, do you? Not at all. Okay, so our number to call is 866-472-5792. Again, 866-472-5792, and we'll be back shortly. A fresh look at today's health. Voice America Health & Wellness. Every day, you hear so much about different aspects of the health and wellness field. One day, you hear one thing, and the next day, you hear something that contradicts what you heard the day before. How do you know what's right? Try tuning in to The Cutting Edge of Health and Wellness today with Dr. Neil Nathan. Our goal is to educate and explore this field with guest experts in order to help you take control of your health and well-being. Listen Fridays at 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Health & Wellness. Thank you for listening today. Breast Friends needs your support. We rely on donations to keep our doors open and to keep this radio program alive. Please consider making a tax-deductible donation to Breast Friends. You can visit us at breastfriends.org. You can also like us on Facebook at Breast Friends of Oregon. Be sure to tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel every Friday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time for Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. Visit breastfriends.org and contribute today. Opinions, options, answers. Voice America Health and Wellness. You are tuned in to Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. To reach the program today, please call us at 1-866-472-5792. Again, that's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to Becky at breastfriends.org. Now, back to the show. Welcome back. We're talking about the different stages of cancer, your cancer journey with our guest, Jennifer Steen Revis. Um, again, you're welcome to call in if you have a question for either Becky or I, or of course our guest, Jennifer. Um, the number to call is 866-472-5792. So Jen, you still with us, honey? I am. Yay. <laughs> so being that you were so young, being diagnosed and everything, remind me, were you married at the time? I was not. I was dating somebody, and um, <laughs> that's another topic for uh, <laughs> yeah, a, a lot of a women. A long one. <laughs> mm-hmm, that's, a, yeah. that's a long topic, and we'll just we'll leave it short And that they're, <laughs> you know, getting a diagnosis of, of cancer really shows you who you have in your court, and people sometimes that you think will be in your court disappear and usually exactly. for the better sometimes. So Absolutely. that was a, that was a hard time because you feel like your biggest support person has uh left you, but uh the blessings that came out of that that leaving were uh far better than what could have stayed. You know, I remember going through a divorce after my cancer and um you know, facing that dating 
uh, position. And I remember literally, I would, I would almost like, hi, I'm Sharon. I'm a breast cancer survivor. It was almost like that, you know, introducing myself because I wanted it up right up front. You <laughs> never know, have and, to worry about when right to bring up. it up. <laughs> you know, I mean, it does change how you look at people and, and how yeah. you, you know, try to <laughs> present yourself, I guess, in the world. Did you have that problem too? Um, I, I did. I started dating when my hair was about an inch tall again. Oh, and so it, you. it was interesting <laughs> to have, you know, the looks and, um, to meet people. And I think that, you know, even in support group, when we talk about the dating and support group, cause I'm, I'm still in a young survivor support group, we talk about not really bringing it up right away unless you feel, you know, forwarded to, Mm-hmm. Maybe on dates three through five that you've already established a rapport and you right. kind of weeded out whether or not you're going to have another date or not. And just being selective in who you share that with. And Absolutely. Um, and it, that's it why everybody's so different, huh? <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> and then you had um, a, a child after you've gone through the whole cancer thing, too. And I know that's, that's a whole nother, you know, circumstance that, that can be challenging as well. And just keeping the lines of communication open with both, you know, partners and, and children and things like that. So what, what advice would you um, share with our oh, listeners? Yeah. I mean, that is, that, that's another component of being diagnosed young is that you're not thinking that you're not going to be able to have a family someday. And it, it definitely is something that can happen when you have to go through chemotherapy that's cytotoxic that, that can affect fertility. I did end up seeking out uh, fertility preservation at that point because having a family was extremely important to me. Um, by the grace of God, I did not need to go that route. I was able to get um, embryos. Um, you know, those types of things. But I ended up having a child uh, about three years after going through my treatment. And he's a wonderful blessing to me. And we talk about things very openly and honestly, he's going to be seven this June. Mm -hmm. He knows what the word cancer is. He was with my, uh, you know, my mom when she was going through treatment. So he was able to talk about what that meant for Grammy, you know, Mm -hmm. as well. So I think always being upfront and honest, but age-based and related. So obviously with, with partners and, and husbands, there's great um, information out there for, you know, in books, The Breast Cancer Husband, uh, for the women we love. It's a, a cancer action plan for and caregiver guide for men. There's books out there for children. Uh, one of our surgeons in town has the book Mommy Found a Lump. Um, there's a great book called Nowhere Hair, uh, written by a woman who, um, illustrates in this book what's happening with the hair loss for children. Um, there's a great book called A Mom in Many Hats. And then just really getting involved with the social worker early and upfront of how to discuss things with the children. There's mm-hmm. family support groups that are offered in, in some cities that are great. And I always encourage patients to attend those too so that social workers can work with uh, the family and identify any needs of the children. um, That's really good. That's excellent. You know, Breast Friends also has a a guide available. It's a kind of a folder, and it's called Helping when mommy has cancer, helping children cope. And yep. it's it's just kind of that same line. It's it's not a big thing. It's just kind of, 
the nutshell version, I suppose, of the things that kids really do ask themselves and the things that they're concerned about. And so that's a free um, brochure that we can send you if you're interested. And Jen, oh, I'm oh, sorry. I was going to say, Jen, you probably haven't even seen our tools for teens. We have a new rack card that is um, for that teenager whose mom or grandma or aunt or somebody in their life has been diagnosed. Yeah. And it's yeah. got some great, great um, ideas for the teenager, how to help that person in their life, but also how to help themselves, you know, what kind of resources they need. I had seen that on your website the other day. I would love to get those rack cards. And I love the honey-do list that you also have. That's (laughs) very helpful for for people that are trying to help the woman going (laughs) through this. So you guys have many resources to offer for patients as well. Mm. And just, uh, you know, it's a... it is a journey. We talked about this being mm-hmm. a journey. It's, yeah. I think it's always good to look at it as a journey and not a death sentence. Cancer is considered a chronic illness anymore these yeah. days, and Oftentimes. we are carrying this you know, 95% of the time. Jen, you, you said something a few minutes ago, and I, I hope I'm not going to ask something too personal. And if it is, just say that's another conversation for another day. But you mentioned the freezing of embryos, and I know that with young women, that question comes up because there that is one of the saddest parts of getting breast cancer when you're young because of the treatment sometimes it does cause um, infertility and things happen can you would you be willing to speak to that just a little bit sure sure so not what I expected to be doing on my 30th birthday cruising um you know, for fertility sperm banks of trying to figure out who I could pick out of the bunch and who would be the best. Oh, you know, I, had my part- I had my partner leave. And, and so that was something that I was um, having to look at. And I went through and I tried to, um, what was interesting about that whole scenario is that you're able to go back and look at that person's family history. You're able to hear a voiceover of what their voice sounds like. You're able to see, you know, what they do for a living and those um, different, you know, issues. And then you pick whatever you think is going to be the best for you. And so I did go through the uh, process of having the, um, the eggs retrieved. I had donor sperm and then I had the um, embryos preserved because that yields usually a better turnout than just having the eggs frozen and then moving forward later on down the road to try and get embryo at, at that point. So it was sad and interesting all at the same time. I think the funniest part of it was actually that my grandmother for my birthday decided to charge this to her credit card <laughs> and nobody wanted to know why this 80-year-old woman was buying sperm. Uh, and it was never oh <laughs> I love your grandma. (laughs) That's so sweet. That's amazing. What a great story. So what is it that causes, you know, women to lose their fertility? Can you, you know, there's, is it the chemo? Is it the anti-estrogen drugs? What, What is it that makes that happen? It can be all of those things. So for, for me, I didn't, um, I wasn't able to take the anti-hormonal medication because I had a triple negative breast cancer, which is a different topic for a different day. It just means yes, that it is. <laughs> hormones don't, um, don't feed that, that cancer. So it, for me, it was going to be the chemotherapy that I went through. And there was a good chance that I would get my uh, menstrual cycle back because what happens when you go through chemo a lot of the time is that you get put into something called chemopause where you lose your menstrual cycle. Um, there are ways to shut down the ovaries to try to protect those from not being affected by that chemotherapy because it's systemic. 
but it's not always 100% guarantee that they won't be affected, and there's definitely not 100% guarantee that you'll get your menstrual cycle back after finishing. So really a, a great option for young women is to try and go through that fertility preservation prior to starting treatment, um, talking with their physicians and an, an embryologist about that, reproductive specialist, nice. and understanding what that means. Mm-hmm. Great, great. That's good. So why is treatment so different for each person? Oh, that's a multifactorial question. I know it is, isn't it? (laughs) It's when we get all the time. You know, don't you love it when when that that, uh, helpful friend says, well, why are you doing chemo first? Or why are you doing blah, blah, blah? My friend did it different or I did it different. So what, what are the determining factors on that? So definitely age at diagnosis, the type of uh, chemo that somebody might need to undergo if chemo is recommended, the type of surgery somebody's had, the support systems that are in place, the overall general health of the person prior to diagnosis. Are they somebody who eats well? Do they exercise three to five times a week? Are they morbidly obese? Do they have diabetic issues? There's a lot of factors that go into whether or not a woman does, you know, poor or fair or well during treatment. I think um, for a lot of people, even the non-physical aspects of going through treatment is more even emotional sometimes. What does your emotional health look like? Do you have Mm -hmm. help and support at home? Do you have flexibility within your job? I think Mm -hmm. a lot of those factors can actually create how well you're going to do during treatment. Oh, again, uh, that's so true. And don't you find it's, it seems like, well, there's never a convenient time for um, cancer, but, <laughs> no. but at, the, at the same time, it seems like it's like, boom, some big life events happen, and then, yeah. you know, let's put icing on the cake, let's get a cancer diagnosis. It seems like stress really has some effect on, it, on things, too. Yes. Things Crazy. come in three, they say, correct? Yep, they sure do. Isn't yep. that funny how Chemo that works? Chemo radiation mastectomy. <laughs> yeah. Well, yes, two. There they are. And then three you know, more on top of that. Yeah. And then there's also the different types of cancer. There's, you know, the inflammatory and lobular and ductal and the different stages and all those all those things play a part in why one person's treatment is different than another. And how, how do you answer that question when people when those things come up with your patients? We know what we tell them. What do you tell them? You're very right. And I think I I would like to share that a lot of times people get very caught up in what is my stage, you know, Mm -hmm. know, what's my stage of cancer. And that's kind of archaic these days because, yes, we care about sizes of cancer. We care about the type. But we really care more these days about the biology of the cancer. Somebody can have a very small cancer that can be really aggressive and we can have big cancers that are not really aggressive at all. Hmm. So trying to help patients understand their pathology after they've spoken with their physician um, and they've gotten the nuts and bolts of it, understanding what each uh, you know, prognostic factor means on that, that tumor and, and understanding where that plays a role and how we treat that is very different than you know, somebody else who has a different type of diagnosis. So Again, really talking with your physician about what your the nuts and bolts are of your cancer and really understanding why we do the treatments for that particular mm-hmm. cancer will be helpful uh, Absolutely. for most people. And things are changing all the time. So rapidly. So much Goodness, money invested in, in research, which is really good. And so cancer that was, you know, from 15, 20 years ago, like, you know, my first time was 20 years ago. My second time was eight years later. And just in that little eight-year time frame, mm-hmm. 
things were, were changing and different. And Absolutely. so if you have a friend who had cancer, you know, 20, 30 years ago, it's going to be way different than what, yes. you know, what you're going to experience now, very likely. Is, yes. I mean, is that right? Absolutely. And we do have patients that will have recurrences. And there is a lot of PTSD that's associated with their mm-hmm. prior cancer and cancer treatment. Because you're right, there is so many different treatment options these days. The medications we have uh, work way better. You're not hospitalized anymore when you're going through treatment. You're usually in an outpatient setting. And mm-hmm. people tend to get through treatment a lot better and differently these days than they did even 10 years ago. Absolutely. So let's just talk a little bit about side effects before we lose uh, all of your, the rest of your time here. Yeah. So I, obviously chemo, radiation, you know, some people find uh, they're too sick to work. Um, mm-hmm. You know, there's, again, I, when I'm talking to a woman, it's like, you know, you never know how you're going to be affected. You know, some person, okay. some woman will like sail through their chemo and their radiation will knock them yeah. <laughs> knock them down and, down and sometimes the other way around you know so it just yeah. really depends doesn't it it does it really depends on the person I really encourage people to be their best advocates if they're not feeling well during treatment and we can't expect that everybody's going to feel well but if you're really not doing okay you know to be talking with your triage nurse your chemotherapy nurses uh, calling your physician's office, getting social work involved, and just being your best advocate is probably the biggest piece of advice I can give people. Mm-hmm. I agree. I think that's so important. And if you have something weird that's happening that hasn't happened in the past, and yeah, definitely tell your doctors or your nurses yeah. about those things mm-hmm. because, you know, um, it can make all the difference. It may, you know, trigger something else. You might be having an allergic reaction. There may be all sorts sure. of things that are happening. Yeah. You know, we only have three minutes until our, our next break, and, and that's when we're going to lose Jen. We're so sorry that you have to go. But we do, <laughs> you know, I wanted to mention one one quick thing that we haven't really talked about here, and that is when a person has to take time off from work um, mm-hmm. for cancer. You know, some people are very open about what they want their coworkers to know. Some are not. Um, but one of the things that we do encourage patients to do is make sure that, you know, they talk to HR, let them know what's going on. Um, and then how much you want people to know is truly up to the patient. It's it's yeah. not your boss's job to tell everybody what's going on. And by law, you don't have to tell anybody what's going on. But do you have any words of encouragement in that direction that you can maybe I, I think that share? what you just said is, is exactly right on. I, I think that what you want to share with others is completely up to you. Um, it depends on your relationship that you have with coworkers. It depends on your relationship mm-hmm. with your boss. And that was something I was going to talk about. You know, um, the, the work environment, that's a whole different ballgame. You know, um, taking the time off if you have it, being flexible or having somebody be flexible with you or maybe assigning different duties. Be working with your patient benefit reps, your financial counselors at your institution, and your social workers that can help up uh, disability if you can get short-term or long-term disability, mm-hmm. um, and even working with the institutions that hold your lines of credit to see if you can cut, you know, miss one payment oh, or cut a payment in good. half. Yeah, um, that's really good advice. There are a lot that will really work with you. Yeah, and it's much better than just ignoring them because you don't have the money to Absolutely. pay the bill. Right. And so really important. Also, in a work situation, um, if you do come back, I took, I was 
fortunate I got to take some time off from work, as did Sharon. Um, but when you come back from work, understand you're not probably going to have the same energy level. And you might want to talk right. to your bosses about a temporarily you know, job reassignment or Starting changing your hours or something. Because it, it's you're not going to be exactly you when you come back. And no. um, and it may take a long time to feel like yourself again. So, yes. and some um, bosses might might think you've been on a vacation. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, the better part of one one to two full years actually after wow. finishing treatment from diagnosis, you know, one to two full years before you really start to feel your new normal. Yeah, I don't no think kidding. anybody ever goes back to. Uh, you know, the olden days where you, you don't feel like any ache or pain is going to be associated with cancer, but you will get to that point where you're not waking up every day thinking about breast cancer and thinking about it at night when you go to bed. Well, Jen, thank you so much. And you bring up a good topic. That's going to be our topic for next week. Um, But we still have one more segment to go. But Jen, thank you so much for spending time with us this morning. We we love you. And congratulations again for winning the Compassion Award. Maybe when when you hang up, we'll go talk about that behind your back. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you guys so much. It was lovely to be with you this morning. Take care. Thank you so much. All right. Bye-bye. All right, so we're going to go out to break, and we'd like to invite you to call in at 1-866-472-5792. When we come back, we've got a very exciting topic. Um, We've got a a specialist on the line, um, Barbara, and she's going to talk with us about what happens with our sex drive. Where did it go? Oh, my gosh. All right, we'll (laughs) be back soon. Step into a healthier you. Voice America Health & Wellness. Thank you for listening today. Breast Friends needs your support. We rely on donations to keep our doors open and to keep this radio program alive. Please consider making a tax-deductible donation to Breast Friends. You can visit us at breastfriends.org. You can also like us on Facebook at Breast Friends of Oregon. Be sure to tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel every Friday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time for Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. Visit breastfriends.org and contribute today. Ouch! What do you think of when you think of dental procedures? Well, when you think about it, the teeth and the rest of the body are strongly connected. What happens in one part affects the other. In the Tooth Body Connection with host Dr. Don Ewing, we'll explain more about these concepts as well as discuss the role that your teeth play in your overall health. You'll learn about amalgams and how removing them the wrong way can be toxic to your body. Tune in Fridays at 2 p.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Health & Wellness. Opinions, options, answers. Voice America Health & Wellness. You are tuned in to Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. To reach the program today, please call us at 1-866-472-5792. Again, that's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to becky at breastfriends.org. Now, back to the show. Welcome back. So um, we're inviting callers in if you have any questions, uh, 866 472 
1-888-346-5792. So we spent a lot of time with Jen on the early segments of the show. And um, um, the, the next piece we really want to talk about is that after treatment is over. And we're going to be um, having a whole show on that particular topic. Um, we call it Thriving Beyond Treatment or Cancer. And, um, that'll be next week. That'll right? be next week, yep. exactly. And so this week we wanted to um, introduce Barbara Musser. She actually has a business called Sexy After Cancer. We thought, we thought that was a, an appropriate um, conversation in this segment. Um, hi, Barbara. Welcome to the show. Hi. Thanks for having me. Well, we're so excited. We, this is a big, big topic, and we think this needs a whole show by itself, and we might have to just bring you back and do that at some point. So, <laughs> so how I about... I know with the treatment, we talked a lot about that with Jen on the earlier segments and and how it changes so many things and many times fertility and and those things. But it also can change our sex drive. How about if we just start right there? Let's just talk about our, you know, our sex drive and estrogen and the lack of it. (laughs) Right. I mean, it's a big topic. And and here's the thing that, that makes it so challenging is that, a lot of women don't know that if they're having chemotherapy or hormone therapies that it is going to impact their libido and their sexuality because oftentimes the healthcare providers don't tell them about that side effect. And so it comes as a really unexpected and sometimes unwelcome surprise. So you can imagine that, uh, I don't know if this was either of your experiences, but getting instantly thrust into menopause is shocking. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. it was absolutely my yeah. experience. In fact, you're right. I had no conversation with that. I had an estrogen positive tumor. I was diagnosed at 40. And as soon as I finished my uh, surgeries, I had chemotherapy. And after my first chemotherapy, boom, I'm like in menopause. Yeah. And I'm like, holy, what happened? Yeah, same here. We had right. to install a ceiling fan over our bed because I just got so hot at <laughs> night. <laughs> my husband misinterpreted well, the word hot, though. <laughs> Yeah, right. And, and the thing is that not knowing it's coming can make it even worse to yeah. deal oh, with. And, I was And upset. so what, what I hear from a lot of the healthcare providers that I talk with is that, well, these days with managed care, I don't really have time to talk about it, but I'm happy to answer questions. Well, that's code for I don't really know how to talk about this. That's <laughs> so true, yeah. Barbara. Oh, my. They don't have any training for it in, in their medical school. None. And... So, you know, so many of the women that I speak with said, gosh, you know, if, if I knew it was coming and I could at least prepare myself mentally for it, that would make it a little bit easier. But, gosh, I feel like I aged 20 years in six months, and what do I do? So you know, true. And that, on top of everything else, can feel like a real double whammy. Yeah. yeah. So what do we do about it? Well... Miss Sexy After funny. Cancer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, there's plenty we can do, fortunately. You know, for for me, I was young when I was diagnosed, and I was single, and I wasn't willing to have my romantic and sex life be over. So I had to find some resources, and there there weren't a lot of good ones, but I modified what I found, and it's why I became a sex educator, and the good news is that there is lots we can do. So the first thing to know is that libido um, is not solely a function of estrogen, and especially for those of us that you know can't take hormone therapies. That's good news. There are some things that you can do. And 
I've discovered a program that I used for myself that I feel like I'm the poster girl for this program. It's called the Vaginal Renewal Program. And if you have me back on a show, we'll talk about it. It's, we don't have enough time this morning to, right. to talk about it. But, but suffice it to say that there is that, that that you can do. And then there's also a whole lot of other things that you can do that will help you to build back to intimacy and sexuality, because a lot of people, when they're in treatment, um, if they're in relationships, they kind of grow a little apart from their partners oh, because so true. we're feeling crappy going through treatment. Our partners don't want to hurt us in any way, so they treat us like with with kid gloves. But then sometimes that gap gets really big, and and the idea of just jumping right back into sex the way it was before can be pretty daunting, and um, and when you add what happens to vaginal tissue with the reduction in estrogen, which is the tissue gets really delicate, it's what's called friable, and that it's really thin and it tears easily, but then what can we do mm-hmm. um, that can be fun and be pleasing and isn't going to cause us pain? Because let's face it, if we think sex is going to hurt, we can't relax and enjoy it, and that right, makes it even right. worse. Exactly. And I've talked to so many women who have, you know, painful intercourse and it just, you know, the pleasure is not there when you're concerned about the pain. And Mm -hmm. then then that affects your um, other than intimate moments, you know, where you're pulling away because, ooh, you don't want this to head that direction because then (laughs) that means pain, right? Exactly. (laughs) You know, so, yeah, those are all right. And mm-hmm. so it seems like, you know, a lot of people I've talked to have done one of two things. Either they just tough it out, you know, and do it because they want to wanna please their partner, which is a lot of discomfort and pain, or they stop being sexual, right. which is another kind of pain. And so mm-hmm. exactly. where's the common ground here? Where's the middle ground? And that's the thing that, that I have found that is so interesting, and there is so much that we can do. And yeah. so a couple things are, um, there's a phrase that I borrow from a colleague of mine who's also a sex educator, and that is that communication is the best lubrication. Oh, so, I like that, that is good, yes. <laughs> yeah, what I mean by that is that it's really important to communicate with our partners or potential partners if we're single and contemplating being sexual. And we don't necessarily have the language to do that, um, and we haven't, probably most of us in the past haven't really had those kinds of conversations, so we don't really know how to do it. But it's really worth learning the language, learning the words, learning your anatomy, being able to express your needs, your desires, and the sensations to your partner and to listen to theirs, because when we can actually talk about things, then oftentimes what comes out is that what people most want from sex play is a feeling of being loved and feeling really intimate. And that's Mm -hmm. not only physical intimacy, but it's also emotional and spiritual intimacy. Well, that opens the door to there's plenty of other ways that you can begin to do that and still feel intimate while your body's still healing or while you're getting yourself ready um, to begin penetrative sexual activity again. So things like holding hands or having kissing dates or massage or one thing that that, um, my partner and I do is we have a weekly sex in quotes date and the object of it is not to have sex 
but the object is that it's time for us to be intimate with each other. And so mm-hmm. what we do is we get naked and we get in bed and we lay there facing each other and we breathe together and we look into each other's eyes and we just connect with each other. Mm-hmm. I'd be and giggling, then, too. <laughs> I'd have to move my dog. Yeah. <laughs> I'd be laughing. That's right. And but that's part of it, that. too, right? That's yeah. part of, it's you know, sharing sharing mm-hmm. that intimacy, yeah. absolutely. You know, one yeah. of the and things, Barbara, we'll- that comes up a lot is, you know, once you've had, you know, a double mastectomy, for example, and you, I mean, and you just don't feel sexy anymore. You know, you, you have right. no feeling in your breast. So even if you have implants or you have some kind of flap surgery that you just can't feel anything and you right. just don't feel sexy. And then with, with the hair loss and all these other things that just kind of start right. to take our bodies away from us. How do you right. how do you regroup after that? Well, That's hard for you a lot know, of us. I think I think the thing the first place to start with all of that is to actually feel the feelings related to that. Because okay. you know, we're so busy getting through treatment and being strong and surviving that mm-hmm. we can push our feelings aside and there can be a lot of feelings related to this. There can be grief, there can be anger, confusion, frustration, fear along with the joy that we are still here, you know, but if, but if those are all bottled up inside, then they get in the way, too. And Absolutely. So, That's true. So to feel those feelings and acknowledge them for ourselves, and then if we have a partner, to be able to express them to our partner and, and, and receive their feelings as well, that's mm-hmm. an important thing to do. And then... Um, in the workshops that I lead, I, I teach women how to do some practices in the mirror to um, accept and forgive and make peace and begin to love their body as it is now. Yeah, so wow. Practices to do. Because, I bet those you know, are if, powerful. If, yeah, because if we're disconnected from ourselves, no matter how loving our partner is, we can't really get over that internal disconnect. So, so there's some inner work that needs to happen first before anything else. Yeah, and, that makes sense. Um, there's, there are different practices that you can do for that. So, so the way I like to think about it is this, that, that there's, um, there's some inner work to do and some inner healing work to do and then some, some things to do to work with our thoughts and our beliefs about what sex is and then to learn some communication skills. And all of that comes before we actually are sexual. So I recommend to people that they take um, orgasm and intercourse off the table for a while because mm-hmm. we put too much pressure on ourselves. To we produce, sure do. And it yeah. just causes all kinds of trouble. Yeah. Barbara, we're coming up on the end here, but we understand you have a book. Why don't you tell us I quickly do. about your book and how people can get it? Okay. Uh, my book is called Sexy After Cancer, Meeting Your Inner Aphrodite <laughs> on the Breast Cancer Journey. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's available on Amazon. Wonderful. They can, you can go to my website, which is sexyaftercancer.com, and, and there's a book link there as well, which will also Wonderful. take you to Amazon. And um, if you'd like me to sign, send you a signed copy, you can just send me an email to barbara at sexyaftercancer.com, and, and we'll work out how I can send that to you and get payment and all that good stuff. Wonderful. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for being on our show. I do think we're going to have to figure out a whole segment that we can have you on because this is a big topic and I I know people are interested and we'll make sure the kids are out of the rooms. (laughs) (laughs) So so thank you so much for joining us today. Those who might be interested, I have a 
a class I'm starting in the middle of March, an online class called Exploring Pandora's Box, Candor oh, and Sexuality. Oh, wow. That, that sounds good, too. That, that would um, be a good one. Website. Yeah, there's right. info on my website about that as well. Well, thank you so much, Barbara. We really enjoyed having you on the show today. So um, we have a couple more things we just want to talk about very, very quickly because we have to go off the air here. Um, But next week, we're going to talk about thriving beyond cancer because what happens when the cancer journey is over is a whole other ballgame because people expect you to be back to normal as soon as you're done with your last treatment. And we don't feel so back to normal. So we're going to spend a whole whole hour um, next week talking about that. And just, you know, Sharon, just tell us very quickly, um, we've got just like two minutes left. Okay. Um, probably not even two. Um, just tell us a little bit, what can they expect to hear about on the show next week? Well, I think fear of recurrence is a huge okay. one, right? Mm-hmm. And how um, a cancer diagnosis and all the treatment and everything is going to affect our self-esteem. So those kinds of things. Mm-hmm. And so the Thriving Beyond Cancer concept is, okay, what do you do with all that? Right. And how do you move on? And you have how a retreat coming up come pretty do. soon too, yeah, March, March 11th. March 11th okay. through 13th. And we have an opening left yes we do so join us again next week when we talk about thriving beyond until then remember there's always hope and we are here to help you find it so we'll see you next week thank you for listening to breast friends cancer support radio please join sharon hennepin and becky olson again next friday at 1 p.m eastern time 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. There is always hope, and we'll help you find it. We'll talk again next time.